How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 113 of X Lapsed, where we are still doing the X of Tens thing. And, uh, you know, after last episode, I am full of optimism, right? I, I loved that issue of X Factor. I thought it was a fantastic chapter, a fantastic installment in the, uh, in the X of Swords story. I wonder if there's anything that could bring me back down to Earth. Well, um, we're going to be talking about Wolverine today, so there's a, uh, there's a pretty good possibility that's going to happen here. Uh, let's get right into it here, because this is uh, another one of those by the skin of my teeth episodes here. We are almost through with the move, but uh, we still got a few days left, so it's, it's you know, the, the, the time is a premium, even more so than usual. So I'll, I'll stop talking, and, and I'll start talking about the book. Wolverine Volume 7, Number 6, had a December 2020 cover date. The story is called X of Swords, Chapter 03. Written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Victor Bogdanovic. Colors Matthew Wilson, led his VCs Corey Petit, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, we got a bunch. Amaro, Robinson, Basso, White, and Sobolski. Cover price, $3.99. This one went on sale October 7th of 2020. And we open... In Hell, hmm. where I suppose if the trio of unbreakable razor-sharp adamantium claws emerging from the lava are any indication, is where Wolverine currently is? Hmm? Well, to uh, paraphrase our opening theme song, well, how did we get here? Well, we flash back to Wolverine chatting up Krakoa, who's being depicted as a face on a tree. Wolverine suggests that maybe he ought not trust the mutant island, and, uh, well, you see, he's got a pretty good argument to that end. If you recall, Krakoa very much wanted that external gate to remain open, and he threw kind of a fit when it was closed, right? Which, uh, one might suggest, means Krakoa wanted this war with the Amanthi or the whoever they are. And, you know, that's definitely a possibility, isn't it? And I tell you what, that revelation right there is the high point of the entire issue. Um, Wolverine declares that he will track down the Muramasa and do the thing in Otherworld. Double page spread of creds followed by our roll call, and it's a very, very short roll call in comparison to the other two chapters of Exa Swords. We got Wolverine, we got Pestilence, the bulb-headed horseman, and War, the firestorm-looking horseman. Now, Wolverine flashes back to his first meeting with Muramasa, the swordsman, not his namesake, Blade. Well, well, both, I guess, because Muramasa, the man, forged Muramasa the sword for Wolverine to wield back in the long ago. But where's the sword now? Well, I don't know. Neither does Wolverine. 
We next join our hero at the quarry, where he seeks to question the Silver Samurai about the whereabouts of the blade. Now, if you remember, we did see Silver Samurai. He runs like a fighting contest at the quarry. We saw him back in Cable Number One, where uh, the kid actually bested Logan in arena combat. Now, the samurai ain't too keen on chatting up the man here. Uh, in fact, he's a bit perturbed that, per Polaris's ranting and you know prophesying, that he, the Silver Samurai himself, wasn't the prophesied champion of the Muramasa. And so, Wolverine and the Silver Samurai fight. Wolverine handily beats the samurai and gets him to share some rumors about the location of the blade. We shift scenes over to Warako, where war and pestilence are drafting their hopeful Muramasa champion. Now, if you recall from Exosword's creation, both sides in this conflict named the Muramasa as one of their ten blades. Now, who they choose is a charming weirdo who had been locked up for a century and a season. He refers to his time in captivity as a vacation, and uh, which kind of proves that he is a weirdo. And he kind of looks like someone that you'd see in one of the Dark Knight's metal series over at DC. He's got a very, very DC look. Now, he agrees to seek out the Muramasa and fight for the horseman. Info page, and it's all about that charming weirdo. His name is Solemn, and it just talks of his charm and weirdness and uh, his trial. What got him, you know, in captivity in the first place. We shift back to Wolverine a little while ago, and he's in Tokyo, hot on the trail of the Muramasa. Or so he thinks, he hopes. He chats up some old friends as well as some old enemies, and he finally gets a bead on the blade. And we follow him to a castle in the mountains. He seems to know that there's another, darker force at play here, who with designs on the Muramasa. And I feel like I've said Muramasa like 700 times, and I'm not done yet. Info page, rumors of the sword, including one from a literal crow. Caw, 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 beast. Cack, 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 beast. I hope you're taking notes. Now we shift scenes to now, and we're back in hell. Wolverine's skeleton emerges from the lava, drags itself to the solid hellish ground, and finds himself at the foot of Muramasa the Swordsman. Okay, then. Uh, we wrap up the issue with an info page about the crooked market market and mad Jim Jaspers, and, well, that's a wrap. Next episode, Exit 10's Part 4, will occur in X-Force number 13, but, well, I guess we should talk about this, shouldn't we? Well, this was uh, pretty much what I expected going in, for better or worse. Mostly worse. <laughs> um... This is a solo book, right? It's sometimes hard for a solo book to play with team books uh, as, it, as it pertains to, you know, flowing through a... Uh, just a straightforward narrative because we are going to be breaking things off here. I mean, that's just part of, uh, part of the poison of this miniseries is that we got MacGuffins to hunt, we've got a lot of books that are involved in this, and we got... Uh, well, yeah, we got a lot of MacGuffins to hunt, so we're going to be seeing some hunts, I'm guessing. This one, well, it, it did something. Um, what it did, I'm not sure. I don't know how Wolverine got to hell. Uh, I don't know that uh, I'm all that interested in finding out how Wolverine got to hell. I don't know if we'll hear about this again, or if we're going to have to wait for the next issue of Wolverine, which really, I don't know. I, I Remember last episode? Remember how happy I was? <laughs> 
when I when we read Exosodes Creation right into X Factor, and it was just one straightforward story. It leaked right into it, right? Exosodes Creation ended, and boom, X Factor number four picked up right where they left off. Here, it doesn't do that. And I'm imagining that uh, the next issue of Wolverine that's involved in this will just follow this one and not whatever book preceded it in the chapter listing. I understand that. I do get that. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe my expectations were a little bit higher after that wonderful issue of X Factor where uh, where everything just felt like it was flowing. And here we are hitting a speed bump. And Wolverine is on these two different planes. One he's in hell, one he's in Tokyo. It's... I don't know. Now, that's not to say that this is a bad issue, because it wasn't. There were a few very, very strong parts of this issue. Um, I really appreciated the battle between the Silver Samurai and Wolverine here. I like how Silver Samurai is jealous that Wolverine was named in Polaris's uh, prophecy as the wielder of the Muramasa, where... Samurai thought it should have been him. I thought that was pretty cool because I don't know that we'll see that anywhere else in this series where someone who wasn't chosen would really have preferred to be or have been chosen, right? This seems like a... This seems like one of those uh, monkey paw lotteries, right? Where it's just like, hey, I got picked, I'm special. And it's like, well, yeah, but you might die. <laughs> you know, or you're you're very likely going to... Come out of this completely different So it's kind of an interesting take here That the Silver Samurai would uh, Feels like he was, uh, you know, passed over For Logan, and I mean Hey, everybody's passed over for Logan That's just kind of how it goes If you're in a book with Wolverine in it People ain't looking at you, more often than not um, The other thing that was pretty strong About this issue was the assertion That Krakoa, the island uh, Knew that this conflict was brewing and is very much in favor of it. I never thought of that. Uh, we saw that Krakoa wanted, he accepted and wanted the external gate. That's been established over the past couple of issues. Uh, in X-Factor, when Saturnine closed the portal, Krakoa was quite annoyed and, you know, caused a little earthquake. Didn't really think much about it back then. I didn't consider that the island itself had a motive. And we have seen that way back in X-Men number two, we saw that Krakoa is drawn to the other parts of, you know, the formerly, was it Okara, the single singular island before it was split? When we saw the, the creepy summoners little peak you know, they, they did the weird little island mambo thing, and two became one, right? Well, maybe this is another case of that, where Krakoa knows what uh, what lies beyond the external gate, but wants to be whole again. I don't think Krakoa really cares who occupies him. If it's the X-Men, that's fine. If it's the Horsemen, whatever. Just as long as Krakoa could be whole again. I think that's pretty interesting food for thought and uh, something that I hadn't thought about until Wolverine actually spelled it out for us. So that is probably my main takeaway from this issue. And uh, honestly, it's probably what saved it for me because the search for the sword, I, I don't care. I'm sorry. Uh, meeting the uh, meeting Solemn over in Araco, eh, you know, he's charming, he's weird, but 
he's also in Araco. So, I mean, that's not... That's been the weakest part of all of these lead-up issues to me, is the basically the environment that we're going to be spending most of our time in, I think. Um, you know me, I'm not a fan of Otherworld. I really don't care about this, uh, this mystical, weird, uh, Krakoan lore. But, I mean, we, we take the good with the bad, I guess. And hopefully, you know, hopefully it'll lead somewhere uh, at least somewhat satisfying. But... This one, I hate to say, was not nearly as strong as X-Factor number 4. Um, it wasn't as strong as Exosote's creation. This was, to this point, the weakest chapter. But I'll hand it, uh, I'll hand it something. It, it's, it's doing the thing that I usually complain that books don't do, and it's, it's laying some foundation. But really, there just uh, isn't a whole heck of a lot more to say about it. Don't know how Wolverine got to hell. We know that there's some sort of a portal. So uh, maybe we'll find out more as we go. But uh, that was Wolverine Volume Whatever Number 6. And uh, before we head out of here, let's hop into the mailbag here because we got some great letters. We're going to start with Damien, who's talking about Marauders Number 12. He says, It's really interesting when we disagree on an issue. It makes me wonder if you read Excalibur 24 way back in 1990. Since that issue, I've been waiting for Kitty to be presented as bisexual, so this issue feels like a culmination of 30 years of waiting. This means Marauders number 12 takes on an almost talismanic significance. Talismanic? Yeah, I think that's the word. Significance for me. I was 15 and closeted when I read that issue, which featured Kitty being seduced by a woman on her 15th birthday. Looking back with adult eyes, it's pretty creepy, but at the time it was thrilling. The scenes that Duggan wrote with Ilyana and Rachel, and then the kiss, have made the, the subtext into text. The day I read this, I went online and sent thank you messages to Jerry Duggan and Jordan White. This is so much. This has so much personal significance that I can't really judge it objectively as a comic. And I mean, those are great points. Those are really good points here. I, I know I must have read Excalibur number twenty-four. I couldn't tell you when. But certainly that did not have the same level of significance for me. And perhaps it's a sign of how just how dense I am. I didn't pick up on any of that subtext here either. Um, I didn't see this as any sort of uh, statement on, on Kitty's sexuality. I mean, it must just be me because I've heard other people say it too about this issue. And I, I'm sorry, I missed that. I totally missed that. I... Can't say what I thought it was because I don't know what I thought it was, but I didn't. I didn't see it as like an overt statement. Um, I don't know. Damien continues. What I loved most is the fact that the resurrected Kitty has frizzy hair and a star of David. She's reclaiming her true self, and while she is repeating the behaviors of Marauders Number Two, it's with more control and focus. I'd still prefer that she didn't get a tattoo, but I feel like the same behavior has a different meaning. In issue 2, it was about a loss of control and putting on a persona, whereas in issue 12, it reflects acceptance of who she is and determination. More good points. More good points indeed. Again, I didn't see any of that. I And I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way. I saw a lot of Kitty's behavior, and not just in this issue, but throughout the Marauders run here, as just being like an edgy kid just feels like she's being like provocative and uh, I don't know if it's attention seeking but that's that's my projection of it and uh, you know, I'm probably completely wrong but uh, that's kind of the gist of what I see when you know kitty's going out and getting tattoos and stuff you know it's eh, you know I, I 
I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Damien continues, I think I've proved that half of what we get out of our comics is what we bring to the book. On to other elements of the story. I like the way that the anecdote about Kitty rejecting Storm because of a haircut is repeated continuously. It gives an authentic feeling of a found family teasing each other. I know my friends and family tease me about stupid things I said and did as a teenager. It makes it more real. Another good point. Another good point here. I know that, you know, when I'm with my family a handful of times of the year, we, uh, we're always saying, telling the same stories. And it's always, it's like that weird, it's like that weird thing where you, like, pretend you haven't heard the story a million times. And you don't call anybody out on being repetitive. And you just take it, <laughs> you know? Uh, with me, and, and this is this is a Chris problem here, I, I see anecdotes like that as a writer putting their thumb on the paper saying, look, I'm a real fan. Look, I'm a real fan. Look, I'm a real fan. Look at the trivia I know. Because we've seen it so often. We've seen it so often with creators who who will tweet out pictures of a stack of books about the new character they're writing, saying that they're doing their homework because they'll only read those books when they're being paid to, Bendis. <clears throat> oh, uh, that's how I look at that kind of thing. I, I look at that as more of a... See, I'm a real fan too, and not a. This is a family who just tells the same stories over and over again. Again, Chris problems. Uh, Damien continues. I love the way Duggan frames Storm's call and response with Kitty as personal rather than religious. It has a very different feeling to how it was presented in Hoxpox. Storm is Storm, not an automaton. In conclusion, this was my favorite comic of 2021, and it will be one of those that resonates with me for years. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts, Damien, and I'm so happy that you did enjoy that issue so much. It's funny, as I was putting my notes together for it, uh, you were forefront, foremost in my mind, because uh, because of you, you prepared me for this issue. You said it was your fa- one of your favorites, and I felt so bad uh, disagreeing. <laughs> I felt really, really bad, and I just uh, didn't know, I, I wasn't sure how to go about doing it. <laughs> I knew how much this issue meant to you And while it wasn't a bad issue in my opinion It certainly didn't have the same meaning And that goes to your other point there You know, we do bring certain things with us uh, when, we, when, we, when we find a book that does speak to us A lot of that I think is what we bring to it ourselves um, I've got several that are like that as well I've got, I've got stories that'll... That are pretty benign That'll just bring me to tears And, uh, you know, comic book stories And so I know a lot of my reaction is Predicated on what I'm bringing to the book with me So I I totally understand uh, where you're coming from there And uh, I I definitely appreciate that we can disagree and And still be pals, you know So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts Your very personal thoughts about this issue Next up, Evan Bevan's talk in Deadpool number six. He says, after reading Deadpool number six, I have to agree that Jeff, the land shark, and not Explodey Boy, may be the sensational character find of 2020. Well, yes, yes, indeed. I, I would go as far as to say that Jeff, the land shark, is probably the sensational character find of the entire 2020 decade, even though we're only a year into it, because I don't think we're going to beat him anytime soon. Uh, Evan continues. Remember when you mentioned that the name Explodey Boy seemed to indicate a bit of dated humor? What if Explodey Boy was named because that humor would have been timely and cutting edge during the Morrison era, which is when Explodey Boy would have died? 
I admit I didn't I did not research the chrono- chronology of adding extra e humor because frankly I think we can all agree I've already spent way too much time thinking about this. That's a good po- that's a good possibility, but I, I I almost feel like we're giving the creators a little too much meta credit <laughs> to do that. I don't think. Uh, I think this was just a funny haha, but I definitely I, I I would give you a no prize if I had him, because uh, that is as good a uh, a theory as any as to why he has such a silly name. But uh, thank you so much for sharing that with us, Evan. Uh, next up, Pat Sampson talking about Exoswords Creation Number One. Now, Pat says, with this issue, I've started to read along with the podcast. I've listened to all the episodes up to this one, and have been learning about the current X-Men through you and the podcast. You got me hooked to read along with you. I hope to write more with my thoughts to be a part of the great group of listener feedback on this podcast. I look forward to hearing you read everyone's letters and thoughts each episode. And it's funny. um, That was something I didn't plan on ever doing. I mean, it's like my favorite part of the show. My favorite part of this entire project is... Is the feedback, is the mailbag, and talking mostly, you know, just out my backside about my ex-fandom and just exchanging ideas and theories and just swapping stories, you know? This is a book club, a a bunch of friends working our way through these books. So I, I do love the mailbag so much, and... It really wasn't something I was going to do when I first started this up. I, I, I'm notoriously awful about... Uh, it's funny, I complain about not getting engagement, but when I get engagement, I'm really bad about responding to it. I'm really, really awful about that. But when I started X-Lapsed and just immediately started getting feedback, I was like... And, and it was such great feedback in that it added so much to the show because... I mean, as the name of the show might suggest, I was a lapsed X-Men fan. And so I was counting on other people to help me out. And so when people actually were, it kind of blew me away. And I knew I had to include some of this, you know, amazing content that was being handed to me. Just people giving me their thoughts and sharing their ideas and filling me in on some blanks here. And we're actually going to fill in another blank in the next letter here, too. I had to include them. I had to include them because I think that it makes this show, this experience, just so much richer. And it's more than just me. It's, you know, I I consider everyone, everyone who takes part in this to be, you know, an equal partner in this, in this little endeavor. And I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. And I look forward to it every single day. When I wake up in the morning and check the Weird Comics History email box, and if there's like three or four letters in there, I'm over the moon. I'm absolutely over the moon, and I just chomping at the bit to uh, to get into them. So thank you, thank you all for that. Pat continues. I'm with you on the neutral feel for this issue, and this is of course Exosword's creation, which I think is a good place to start off this event. At will there be ups and downs in the next 21 issues? Probably, but I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Keep up the great work on this podcast. It's a must listen for me each day. And until we find out what else A's kids got him for Father's Day, make mine X lapsed. Well, thank you, Pat. And it's so cool that you're you're you know reading along now. I, I really I can't wait to hear your thoughts. And uh, you're right, neutral is a good place to start, right? It's 
it's maybe not as good as being really jazzed, but it's a lot better than being, you know, dreading it, which is kind of where I was going into it. But uh, thank you again, Pat. I, I look forward to many more missives, so thank you so, so much. Uh, finally, our last message today is from our friend Andrew Franklin regarding a question I asked about Madeline Pryor and Chris Claremont's original plans for her. Like, was she always meant to be a clone? Or is this just a uncanny coincidence that she looks so much like the woman that Scott just lost? And Andrew says, Claremont's plan with Maddie and Scott was just to have them live a normal married life. It's well known that Jean wasn't supposed to die at the end of Dark Phoenix Saga, so Claremont created Madeline Pryor as a way to have Scott end up with a knockoff of Jean. It seems like a strange move, but I really feel that Claremont felt bad for Scott and thought he was doing something nice for him. Scott would leave the X-Men and be semi-retired as Claremont's vision for the team, whose roster would change over time. He was very much against the X-Factor idea and had to be talked down from quitting, slash blowing up at Jim Shooter and being fired. The subsequent Madeline story of being a clone was all made after that. And that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I've, I know I've read the... Uh, Oh, what was it? The Phoenix, the Untold Story. That one shot that came out probably in the mid-80s, I'd assume. Probably the early 80s, now that I think about it. But I remember they had the unpublished pages there of uh, what was originally going to start... What would it have been? X-Men 138? Where we have, like, a gene... A depowered gene, like, looking into a pond with Scott standing behind her or something like that. And I do believe that the original plan was that they were just going to leave. You know, they were going to leave the X-Men and let the uh, let the all-new, all-difference take care of things from that up that point on. Because Scott, you know, as you mentioned, did leave in that Elegy issue, or which was the actual Uncanny X-Men, or X-Men, I guess, still 138. So that does make a whole lot of sense, uh, that uh, Claremont thought he was doing his pal Scott a solid and giving him giving him the happy ending that he'd, uh, he'd earned throughout his years of service. So thank you for filling us in there, Andrew, and thank you for saving me the time of digging through piles of comics journals and amazing heroes looking for, you know, one sentence <laughs> that could tell us anything. Uh, especially since, you know, like I mentioned, I'm in the middle of a move and all my stuff is in boxes. And I don't know how much longer they'll be in boxes, but it'll probably be a little while before I start getting them out of boxes. So thank you for helping me out there and answering that question for us. But that's where we'll leave the mailbag for today. If anybody would like to take part in the conversation, please feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics or weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com and xlaps.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join in the conversation on Facebook. Our little group is 90SXMen, 90SXMen. And you can listen to a whole bunch of comics audio at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. You can also vote for the uh, last member of the new X-Men team at marvel.com slash something or another. I'm sure there's a link to it on the front page there. So, uh, yeah, vote. And maybe let your buddy Chris know who you voted for so we can talk about it in future episodes. But, uh... That'll do it for today. I want to thank you all so, so much for sharing your time with me. And till next time, as always, I'll talk to you all again real soon. See ya.